0: I'm just a simple man trying to make my way in the universe. Welcome back. Good to be back. How are you doing? Doing good. How are you? Not too bad. Pretty good week. Another week,
1: of course. So today we have a little bit more of an interesting conversation. The, uh... We want to talk more about the theological concepts of science fiction and fantasy and kind of where they align. Different universes, different religions, different... Sects. Yeah. <laughs> For lack of a better term. But it's just, it's so interesting because take, just, you know, we're a predominantly Star Wars podcast, so it's always safe to start there. In Star Wars, you have the Force, which is an all-powerful being... The Jedi and the Sith, to a degree, worship it, but you also have different cultures, different
0: like different alien races who have their own beliefs. Well, I think we can start with the big two, uh, the Jedi and the Sith. I think the Jedi are obviously so we've talked about that a lot. We've yeah. talked about their their cult, but they are kind of a noble cult. They're. Uh... They believe in following the will of the force. They believe in following the natural order, the The religiosity of their belief really stems from being neutral and following the will of the force, whether that would be considered good or bad. We're not here to free the slaves. Slavery is wrong, of course, but we're not here to do that. That's not the will of the force today. And so it's it's a neutral religion. It's a religion that doesn't really stand on. This is morally atrocious. So let's get rid of it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a really interesting way of playing it as a religion,
1: but they worship the force. And I I'm using very loosely using the term worship. They, they worship the force and that it tells them what to do. It's one all powerful being that controls everything, which They believe the Force is the higher power. As far as George Lucas is concerned, in my opinion, stems from a Judeo-Christian standpoint of one creator, one being that controls the movements and the wills and the future of everything. But a very secular view of that. Without directly intervening. Right. It's up to the Jedi or the Sith or Force user to channel that intervention and how they see fit. How they view the Force to see fit. Right, and that's where I that's where I relate it back to that Judeo Christian standpoint because if you take a, a different, let's take a different race just for the the Wookiees, they believe in kind of an All Maker, but they they worship they
0: worship trees and life. They they worship a lot of things. They worship trees. They're more druid like, I would right. say. But they're they're also ancestor worshippers. Ancestral, right. So they worship the ones that came before them. They worship the they worship their history. A lot like the Keldor, like Plocoon's race. The yes. Keldor
1: are very reminiscent of an ancestral recall, so to speak. Sort of sort of reminiscent of the Native Americans, I would say, on from from our world. With a
0: little bit of like the uh, Viking. Mm-hmm. Uh, like Odin. Pre-Odin, they would have worshipped their ancestors. They would have stayed very close, uh, living in the realms of which their ancestors grew up. They would Paganism, have, essentially. They yeah. would have had a very close tie to not just their ancestors, but where their ancestors are buried. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is very reminiscent of those two things kind of melded together. Celebrating the
1: dead celebrating the things that they've passed down and being able to commune with the dead in a way that gives them some sort of amplified ability or clarity or, you know, peace of mind in a sense. And that's where I can really see why the Jedi and the Sith, for that matter, would recruit these kinds of beings. Because the, the ideals of their, their theological practices, I should say, align with what the Force is. So it's easy to essentially change their mind to see and align with the Jedi or the Sith ways. Well,
0: and to a degree, the Jedi definitely, and the Sith to a lesser degree, believed that the ancestors, the people that came before, were a part of the living force. Mm -hmm. That even after death, there was some sort of pseudo-reincarnation that you you were then absorbed into the force, thus... You are not just worshipping the ancestor because they came before you or because they had some wisdom. You were worshipping the fact that they were a part of your religion today because they were absorbed into the force. They're a piece of your God. And that gives them a direction. Like it gives them
1: some sort of a template to follow for how they're supposed to live their life. As all theological practices do aside from an atheistic view. Which even then that could be argued because there are some cultures who... Are a little more on the, the atheism side of things, but they live by, like, moral principle as opposed to a creation theory. Uh,
0: so, for atheism, I kind of feel like they're sort of closer to the ancestor worship. That they live by the moral tomes of their ancestors. But of they the, don't worship. But they live by some of the code, and you can tell because... Humanity has decided that murder is wrong. Why? Because over the generations we've realized hey, murder does all of these bad things. It's bad. And so even though they don't believe in a God that structures it to be against the moral order, they still live as if it
1: is. And that's where I was going to rig up the Trandoshans next the reptile species from Star Wars, they're the ancestral worship, but they, they do have a, uh, for lack of a better term, air-quoting god, or because they they believe in the hunt. The
0: god of the great hunt.
1: Right. Um, but they believe that the, they put on this, on the planet Trandosha and on all the planets in Star Wars to, to basically to bring glory to themselves and their ancestral lineage. The well, more and greater a kill you make as a bounty hunter or as a hunter the more their afterlife is more praised. They
0: believe that every hunt, that every creature you successfully hunt, gives you points. Mm-hmm. And those points add up. And the more points you have, the more you will be rewarded in the afterlife.
1: Yep. And that's kind of, That's a really cool one. I've always been fascinated by the Oceans and their idea of the hunt. But there was, a, there was another really prominent one I was going to go into.
0: Before we do, I want to throw some stuff out about the Sith. Sure. Uh, the Sith religion is more of a a religious belief of power, might makes right. Uh, and so they worship the Force in a sense, but they worship it as a God that grants power. An extension. That your God grants power, That it's, it's and they don't call it a God, but it's a deity that grants power to those who would use it and so their religion kind of is a might makes right warrior culture god right and their religion really is if you can do it you should if you have the power you're supposed to use it right
1: you can't just sit on it or pass it down it's not it's not something that's that's
0: it's the antithesis of the jedi where the Jedi believe that you're granted the power to do what is right. The Sith believe you are granted the power, and thus, if you have the power, you are in the right. You're granted the power by right, too. Right. You have a right to it because mm-hmm. you have the power. And that's
1: what makes the Sith so interesting, because... it's it, In terms of theology, it's it's a selfish take on a creator, because the Sith believe... The Dark Jedi, I should say, more specifically the Sith species are a whole other story. But they believe in the same thing that the Jedi or the Jedi do. The one creator, the Force is everything. It's on how you use
0: it. Right. It's so like you were saying, it's the antithesis of the Jedi, I agree. The Jedi use it to protect the weak. And in the Sith religious uh, belief, if you can call it that, is... If you have power over someone, then you have the moral authority to do as you will. To use, you have to use it. You've been granted this gift, why why waste it? Right. And if you were seen wasting it, you were eliminated. Well, and that's that's the might makes right. That's, that's how they justify slavery. Mm-hmm. Because I have the might, obviously I am doing the right thing, because this God being the force has granted me the power. And it wouldn't grant me that power if I wasn't in the right.
1: And I mean, there's... There's a plethora of different of different species that that we could go into. Um, those are just examples of a few of them. But Star Wars is just it's so broad because even the humans, like everyday average humans, they have. It's never really specified by Lucas or in canon, but in the books and in the comics slash graphic novels, you can really see that even just humans, non Force users non-aliens basic humans have this standard moral principle in their societies on whatever planet they're on like even if it's just a planet of a bunch of farmers or a planet of a bunch of militant groups they have this moral principle that they have to abide by and most of them call call their god at least in the books like the creator right the creator has given us this land so creator being singular in my mind means
0: monotheistic
1: right but to a degree they would believe essentially in the force as the creator they just don't call it that because they don't practice the religion of the jedi or the sith right which has always been such an interesting concept to me whenever i see random humans just saying well the creator has given us this land to farm so we have to farm it to please the creator even the droids thank the maker thank the creator's like, they, they would view humans, I guess, not really getting into that subject as a whole, but I'll just say this, you know, plainly, they believe humans are, are, are their gods. And the Ewoks revered robots as their gods. They revered C-3PO as a god. Right. Like, it's just, there's so much, but it all relates back to a monotheistic mindset like you don't really hear much about what you would hear in, in ancient Rome and Greece or ancient Egypt, or ancient Norse mythology of many
0: gods. It's typically just one creator. Well, and that's easy to explain away because in Star Wars there is a force. There, the force exists. Therefore, the religions that the primitives would create are around the existence of an actual deity. Create, you know, mm-hmm. a creator or a force or a balancer or a hunt whatever it may be, it makes sense that that would branch off from the very existence of Force-wielders. Because to a primitive society of Trandoshans, one Force-wielder would look like an agent of God.
1: But they, but in turn, lore-speaking, lore they would see that as a, a benign thing. They would see that as evil. Because unless that Force-user would be following like the will of the hunt, right. being engaged in the hunt they wouldn't necessarily see them as an ally. They would see them as an adversary.
0: Right, but if a Trandoshan had grown up as a force wielder and followed the religion, the the other Trandoshans who don't have the power to make things move with their mind would view that person as a person specifically gifted from the Huntress, the god of the hunt, to uh, maybe be a prophet or uh, they were gifted to be an especially potent transocean in the hunt. Yeah. And so you could see how that might lead to a monotheistic religion being the norm in in the universe. Yeah. And it would also explain a lot of Force-sensitive
1: Wookiees on that sense. Or Keldor, like we mentioned with Plo Koon, because they already have that, that subset mind of a monotheistic policy... And ancestral worship or some form of spiritual and moral guidance in their system already. But yeah, Star Wars is like there there's a plethora of different cultures that you could see as as theistic. But theologically speaking, you know, Halo and Mass Effect it's it's mostly just going to be the same as Star Wars I feel like. The the humans are going to be worshipers of one creator, one being one god, and but then the aliens typically are going to have like that that sense of a monotheism without actually being one monotheism, as in, like the Asari, for instance, the Asari females from Mass Effect, the all-female race, they believe in a maker, but they don't really like worship it, they worship spirituality a lot like Buddhism.
0: Right. And then... <coughs> the covenant the covenant worshiped the oracles they worship the the ones that came before they worshiped the forerunners uh but they don't they don't know the forerunners by no. name that's why I, that's why it's hard to relate it to monotheism right and i don't think it is monotheism i think it's the worship of what was left by the race before it and i think it could be argued that that's polytheistic just because there's multiple people of that race, but it's monotheistic in the sense that they kind of see them as one big conglomeration of a thing. They are the forerunners. They are the oracles. They are the they are the one that came before. But in polytheism, you would have to name those gods or beings. Well, that's in polytheism, you, each god would have its own domain. And that's why I say it's reminiscent of a monotheism at the same time. That you could argue each forerunner would be a god to them, but they don't know the forerunners. The forerunners were gone. They don't know them by name. They don't know of what they were. So it's a plural so subject they, used singularly. They're worshipping the forerunners as forerunners, not as individuals. Right, that's why I said it's it's a plural belief in a mono. A monotheistic way, right? It's a monotheistic a, practice, I should say. Right, and it's a monotheistic practice because they worship them as one being. Um, and and that's a really interesting one because you can see how their worship, how it evolved, and it was originally a religion, and then as they realized that it, that religion gave them power over other uh, member states of the of the covenant they were willing to admit that, it, no, they're not really gods, just so long as well, it gave them more power. Because the council believed that, the counselors
1: believed that they were the ones, you know. They, they were the chosen. They were the chosen, the counselors, or the the group of those floating turtle, for those, just a baseline, the guys who were in the hover chairs that looked like old turtles without shells. Right. Those were the council members, the elders, and they were seen as, their race within the covenant was seen as priests, right priests mouthpieces for for their gods right. And what they say was law mm-hmm. And so
0: the, you know so at the end of, of Halo when 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 the religion falls apart, it's because that race started to believe that they themselves were the godly creatures. yep. And eventually the Covenant, especially
1: especially the Sanhele, started to see through that. They were like, you guys are starting to abuse you. The Brutes were stupid apes. They didn't really care. They just were there for power. And however they could get it, they could. The Grunts, well, we all know the Grunts. They'll just follow anything that feeds them and gives them a place to sleep. Then you have Jackals. Kiyar, the jackal, j- they're kind of in the same situation. Their home planet was completely raised, you know, by these giant predators that took over their planet, because they're small bird, raptor-like humanoids, they couldn't really fend off against these giant monsters, so, well, oh, let's join the Covenant. So they kind of are in the same, I guess, the same situation as the grunts <laughs> where they kind of have to be there, but they don't not have all that, anywhere to go. But they're not a sentiently evolved species like the Sangheliar are. Right. For the brutes, like, where, where they can kind of formulate their own opinions. So they're kind of just like, well, we're just here for the ride. We just so, do what we're told we what because we, we don't have another choice. Yeah, and then those, the giant ones with the particle beams, the, like the Magyar or something like that. I can't remember the name of their species. Yeah. But they're, they were kind of in the same situation. But The
0: worm things.
1: Yeah, yes. The things that were very hard to kill in the original Halo games. <laughs> and then got progressively easier and easier to kill. Yeah. Um but it's like the, the Halo does such a good job of establishing that baseline of the creator theory. Cuz then when the the forerunner oracles show up, they're like, Oh, the, the speakers of the gods. We need these things." And then the humans are just, uh, you know, you're like your typical Christians who are just fighting the good fight against the covenant and Well,
0: they have a Christian ethic, but they're post secular. Right, yeah, yeah. I, I'm just I'm just speaking gen in general terms is like you know I don't think the the humans really have a religion, but they have a moral code. Right. They're not purely secular. They they understand that there is a moral hierarchy, but they're post secular because they don't follow this there is no uh, objective, right or wrong.
1: Yes, yep. But Halo's always a different, especially the Forerunners. You know, and the, the Forerunners thought that they were their own gods, but there were actually people more powerful than the Forerunners. A lot of people don't know about that came
0: before them. Well, I think the Forerunners realized that they were There were no gods. I think that was their realization. They thought there is no religion. There is just this mantle of responsibility that, that was passed from down the from the Precursors. And the Precursors kind of thought themselves gods in a way because they felt that it was their obligation not only to maintain but to create new species. And once the
1: Precursors were extinct, the Forerunners began to develop this notion of, well, if they were gods and they died, they can't really be gods. So I guess since we're the only ones alive, now we're the gods because we can create humans, we can destroy planets, we can basically start life over at at the snap of a finger. Right.
0: I think they were kind of beyond gods at that point. Yeah. That they didn't really... We're not the gods, but we're as close of a proximity of what gods might be. Like, they viewed it as, you know, gods are a way of describing something that you couldn't possibly understand, and we understand enough to know that there is no such thing as a god. And that's kind of... I would go
1: back to Mass Effect in that sense, the Protheans you know the species that were 50,000 years before humans and the citadel and everything you know they were seen as as an ancient godlike race to the normal species of mass effect right then you come to find out well, actually there is species before
0: them cycles right N- Uncountable the reapers. cycles
1: and it's everyone's like well the reapers right because they have the ability to create and to destroy to indoctrinate but then who created the Reapers? Right. It's like, well, then there's the Elder God who's in that, on that mass effect, I can't remember the planet, but it's that that deep sea planet. And you go down to the depths of the ocean and you have to talk to these giant squid-like gods who resemble the Reapers and they created the Reapers millions of years ago. M- tens of millions of billions of years ago. And they
0: only <laughs> exist there because the Reapers... <laughs> put them in solitude essentially like you guys can't ever leave again. Well, so long as the as those creatures don't raise up a civilization big enough for the Reapers to care about. Well, the the elder gods in mass effect in that sense realized
1: we're gonna basically isolate ourselves because we realized the mistake we made in creating the Reapers. Well now we can't fight them.
0: Well yeah, and even if we even if we grow a civilization big enough to put a fight to them the we reapers don't. were designed to destroy. Right, we we don't know that we can even do that if we try. But then the the humans in
1: Mass Effect still have that that monotheistic idea of like the one creator idea. But then then I feel like like Star
0: Trek. Star Trek's post religion. It it is because now there's religions in Star Trek like If you get into Deep Space Nine... Traditions as opposed to religions, I would say. No, if you get into Deep Space Nine, you go through the wormhole and there's the shapeshifters. Yeah. And the people that, that the shapeshifters control, they don't control them directly. They don't govern them directly. But they govern them by shapeshifting into beings that can control them. And so the, the average everyday person in that quadrant of space believes them to be gods. Yeah. Um, and that is a, a weird amalgamation because they believe in these godly creatures that can shapeshift into anything and hide anywhere and they guide for the better. They guide their people to peace and prosperity. Um, you have the Klingons who their religion is a war religion. They believe that their culture is set up to wage war and to do battle. And so in that culture, it really feels like, to me, it's a tribal culture, and there's a certain religious aspect, not in a formal setting, but to a moral scrutiny that the, the powerful lead, and that's kind of a, a religious tenet. And it's respected by all as if it's a religion. With the Klingons, for sure, they have that, that tribal
1: warlike mentality, so they definitely have, like, oh, I would relate them more as, like, a poly, polytheistic mindset. But then you get to the
0: Vulcans, and I feel like they're on that ancestral uh, their, train. Their kind of religious token is wisdom and, and logic that they believe logic is the thing that is above all else and that the but logic is... they praise is... the past down, though. Yeah, they do. But in in that sense, what is logical is moral. hmm And so it's very utilitarian.
1: And it's... It's easy for them to formulate a society based on that mindset because everyone is supposed to have
0: some sort of an intellectual capacity. But it's not an inherently good society because it may be logical to... Uh, it may be logical that, hey, our planet is in danger of this and we must just go ahead and accept that these people are going to die because it's the logical conclusion. While it's not a moral conclusion, it would fit their moral framework. Right.
1: Then you have the Romulans who are
0: kind of the same, but more secularized. Godless.
1: Yeah, they're they're
0: more like this is the way it has to and will be done. They're more traditional, right? And Not traditional as we understand it, but traditional to their traditions. Yeah, they they don't stir away
1: from they, they, There's no stirrations in that. It's it, it is what it is. It's been that way for thousands of years, and that's
0: how it's gonna stay. And it works, so why change it? Exactly. But then the the humans,
1: the Star Trek humans are such a strange one because it. They do, always, in, in in some of the series, you know, Next Gen, the, the original... I'm not as in Deep Space Nine as you, I'm more of a Next Generation fan, but they do relay, like, God. They say God. They say space. They say, you know, history of God and, and, and their belief, but they... There's no, like, surefire way or,
0: or proof of them practicing it. They're very secular. Yes. And they're not privatized. Uh, right. There is religion in the star in the the federation and in the human population, but it, there is no single unifying religious belief of the humans in the federation. Yep. And that's what
1: I always found interesting is like there's they don't really show them worshiping versus other series maybe aside from Aside from Mass Effect, you see the worshipping of a god or deity or being or spirit or, or whatever you want to relay in that it's just so interesting because they always come across the Borgs and they come across the Q and his species who are seen as godlike species. And the Federation, the humans are always running into these other species that say, well, we are gods. We are creators. We're destroyers. Right. But it's in a different galaxy almost. So they're like, well, I, that might be true for you. And and it's funny because even though they see the power of these, quote, gods from these other universes. They see it from
0: a secular and scientific point of view. And it doesn't change their mind in what they still believe in. You may you may think you're a god, but you're not our god, right? And they but they've
1: seen the power, they've seen the devastation, they've seen the creation of these quote unquote gods, but they still don't leave their view of of what they believe in. So it's interesting. It's such an interesting. It just it just makes them more devout in my mind. Like they are devout acolytes of their belief, which to me is portrayed
0: as a monotheism in Star Trek. The humans, at least, but. On the religious side, I think there's no... I I don't think there's a more complex uh, religious pantheon in sci-fi than in Warhammer 40k. Oh, gosh. Because you have almost limitless potential in Warhammer 40k for that. Uh, For for, anything, honestly. (laughs) Well, it's true. But, like, you have the big ones. You have the humans... You have the Tao. The humans, for the most part, worship the emperor of mankind as a god. Um, Very reminiscent of Japanese mythology. Now, that's very complicated because in Warhammer you have the warp, which is the immaterial realm. It's the realm that contradicts but lives in parallel to the material. And so what happens in the material realm has an effect on the warp. Which is, to me, is in a sense a spectral realm. It is. Um, But you have like, so initially the emperor says, I am no god, there is no god. And in in a way he's right. There is no god, there is a spectral realm, but that only exists because of what exists here. If we choose that there is no god, then there is no god. But after he nearly dies and is put in stasis and 10,000 years passes, the humans worship him as a god, which in a sense imbues him with godlike powers or would create a parallel divinity divinity, yeah. in the warp of him as a god. And so he truly becomes a god through their worship. He doesn't, but his parallel does. Right. I was going to say, because he could still be killed and can still die, which...
1: But then you have the
0: Tao, who believe in the greater good, and that's their religion. Is Buddhism side of things. It's kind of a communist, sort of pseudo-communist, weird religion. But it believes in whatever is good for all is good for one. So if you must die to bring about a greater good, then you must die. Yeah. Um, And then you have uh, the Eldari. And the Eldari are a psychically sensitive race to an extreme extent. So psychically sensitive is the way they put it, but it's really they're linked to the Immaterium. They have a holdfast in the Immaterium on an individual level to the point that when the Eldari were (laughs) at the the peak of their power, they had the ability to manifest beings in the warp. Mm -hmm. And they created their own gods. Cain is their war god but he was created by them to aid in war. And there's aspects of Cain, and there's and each aspect is a different uh, field of study in martial prowess. Does he have a brother named Abel? I don't know. <laughs> <clears throat> uh, well, it's something about... mentioned Cain.
1: And then you have the orcs. The, the orcs, yes. And they're... ORKS, for those of you who don't know, not ORCS, the actual way. And the
0: orcs to believe in Gork and Mork. And they're brothers. And their religion is a weird one because they're also psychically sensitive to an insane degree. Orcs are
1: very, very prone to intellectual, um, intellectual
0: entities taking over their minds they were created by a precursor race yeah, and they were created to be a perfect weapon Uh, so basically what their psychic power allows them to do is if they believe it and they're very dumb they are not intelligent
1: they're just hulking brutes but whatever
0: they believe whatever they believe if they truly believe it and there's enough of them to create a singularity in the warp they can turn what they believe into reality and it's very, the orcs are very strange because, unlike the
1: other species in the 40k universe, the orcs are actually a devolved species. They used to be more intelligent. They used to have more artifacts. They used to have a, a bigger, upstanding army with more technological advancements. But they kind of devolved over time. So, when I
0: was talking about the singularity... Which, over time, essentially right. is in tandem with that, but... But yeah. in the timeline, they, the, there's less and less of them. So they have less and less of that attachment as a whole to the wage warp. war. And so if, a, if enough orcs are together, you know, 10 or 20 orcs in a war band are together, and they believe this thing that they're holding will shoot, it will shoot. Yeah. And if they believe that they will ride this thing and it will move, it will move. So literally, their technology is just force of will. Taking a hammer and bashing metal together till they believe that it's ready,
1: which would explain a lot of their vehicles and their weapons. Oh, absolutely, absolutely! <laughs> Wood and stone and metal hammered together that actually works. It's yeah, weird. they're they're a very force of will society, especially when it comes to religion. Is is everyone has the ability to will something?
0: Well, and their religion's very interesting. Because they believe that Gork and Mork wills it. And so if they go into battle and they they don't aim at their enemy, they shoot randomly. And if the bullet hits their enemy, then it was meant by Gork and Mork to hit their enemy. Yeah. And so they don't aim. They don't care. They just go into battle to battle. And then it's the will of the god. And it's a very interesting uh, way of doing it because in 40K, you have the immaterial realm that is the realm of of mysticism and power Mm -hmm. and magic. Yeah. Now there are some humans and some species, uh, some people of other species that worship the chaos gods, and what they are is basically gods of chaos. They they are basically almost like timekeepers, I would say. Well, they're the result of things happening in our universe, and they're the result specifically of emotions in our universe. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, like you have the the changer of ways. And he is a god of change. He's a god of, of destroying the old and creating new. You have the god of, of knowledge, and he's the god who knows all, but because so many things are flexible, you don't know which of his knowledge is true and which of it is not true. Uh, you have the god of... of oh, what's her name? Uh, Slaanesh, the, the god of of Excess. And so because there's an emotional attachment in humanity and Eldar and all beings to pleasure, Slanesh is a god of pleasure. It's a god of excess. So her worship would be, you know, taking as much joy in eating food is where you'd start. You know, this, this bread is good. And so I want better bread and i will worship by by creating better bread but it's it's the grimdark it's warhammer so it's very disturbing in where it goes to to the point where eventually yeah, it's but, anything in excess right yeah so it can go from just hey this bread is really good we're you know we're going to eat this and enjoy it in in her name and it gets eventually to the point where you're corrupted to Every time you have that bread, it's still just as good as it was, but you're normalized to it, so you have to do more.
1: It's not enough, essentially.
0: And over a decade or however long, eventually you get to the point where it's not enough and you have to, you know, maybe you have to whip yourself so that you can take more feeling. A sadomasochist approach. And you, you maybe you have to torture someone in order to take true pleasure because it has to be a little more pleasurable. That's the god of excess. Yeah. So there are gods that exist in the warp. But they don't intervene in... But they can't intervene directly. They that's, have to have a breach to
1: the material realm. That's what I meant. Unless you're the Necrons and you actually summon the Satan, who are a godlike species, the dragon lords. That's like... They then did intervene because they were summoned, but at a price. So the gods of the Necrons are very selective, or the gods overall, like you were saying. They have to have... There has to be some, some kind of pact be it like a pact of negation or they a have to they have to gain or... something. The gods of the warp have to gain something
0: in return. They're not just going to show up and give you power. Well, then there has to be a tear in space for them to even physically manifest. Yeah. And so you actively have to create a ritual to tear between the material and the immaterial. Once you do that, they have power over the material realm. But only whereas there's enough warp energy flowing from the immaterium to the materium. And whomever summoned them is still around. If whomever summoned them goes away,
1: then they have no more business being there, essentially, is how they see it. In many cases, but not in all. But I feel like... The, the Necrons case specifically, I know we always go... I always go back to them because I'm, I'm just fascinated by the Necrons. But they they made a deal with the Satan. Like, hey, we want to overthrow the, the other gods. Can you help us? And they're like, well, the price is going to be... You will forever be
0: mindless, bodiless. Satan actually... It's pronounced Satan, actually. <sighs> but... They actually made a deal with the tier the original organic race, because the tier the organic race, they were evolved on a planet that was heavily irradiated. And their star actually killed them very young, and they were searching for immortality. They went out into the wider galaxy to get away from their star, and they realized that, well, unfortunately, that had an evolutionary effect that made our natural lifespans like 40 years. And so they went to the old ones and said, hey, you've unlocked the key to immortality. Give it to us so that we can be away, be done with this curse of mortality. And the old ones said no. And they went to war with the old ones and they lost. And at their star, there were energy-sucking beings... (laughs) That they found, eventually.
1: You know, I was going to say all of this, but I'm just letting you... I,
0: I love don't... Warhammer! Well, I
1: like the Necrons,
0: but I was getting to that, but continue. But they weren't really gods, they were creatures. Uh, and the Necron Tier debatable. gave them bodies. They they forged bodies for them that would contain the Necron, or the, the Catan. But like Catan. I said, at a price... And that at a price,
1: and the Necrons overlooked that because they were filled with so much malice and contempt for the old ones that they were like. We they
0: didn't overlook it. They were lied to. Well, yes, but but
1: they. It was also their fault because they were so filled with vengeance that they were getting tunnel vision. Like, we, well, we don't. Oh, care. absolutely. We, we just want to kill the old ones for denying us this possibility, and so essentially they were like, well, yeah, we can give you immortality, but I mean, if you don't read the fine print, that's your problem. Right. Which they didn't. The fine print said, yeah, you can live forever, but only with a conscience and a metal body. And in most cases, not with
0: conscience. That
1: too. So, I mean, it depends on your level of where you were at as a Necron in the prior dynasty. That essentially would allow you to unlock either Either you were going to be just some Necron podunk warrior. Who, yeah, your conscience is pretty much you. You're limited. basically a subconscious. Or you would be one of the hunters who were like you were something... Formidable in the other life, that
0: now you actually have somewhat of a free will, but n- not really. The more potent your soul was, the more of it remained. Right. The Katan right. fed on their souls as they created their immortal forms, which is what made them the Necron.
1: They were the only ones who were able to actually stand up against the Old Ones, which is why the Necrons were seeking their power because they were like, "Hey, you guys seem pretty powerful." And like, yeah you want to see and they're like sure. <laughs> right. <laughs> and and so they're to not to put plainly.
0: So they're kind of the gods of the Necrons, but they're not really. But they don't worship them. That's the difference. Right. There's there's no religion around it. They just understand that these are creatures that are ephemeral. The old the old Necrons did realize
1: that the old ones were actual in a sense it immortalized godlike beings. Right. And that's why they were like, "Hey, we need the immortality." Essentially, like the elixir of immortality, or whatever you want to call it, it's. But upon being denounced and denied this, they were just like.
0: Oh. They went to war with, <laughs> with gods, and yeah, it they won. resulted well, to a degree. kind of to a degree. I would say to a degree they won, but it was at a winning huge winning the battle and losing the war. Um, right. They won what they wanted to win. It down. was a pyrrhic victory. Yeah, <clears throat> but. So they have a unique, not a religion, but they do have these things that they hold as gods. And we don't really see the original because we can't... There's no real novel that gives you a good idea of what the Necron tier were like before the Catan. T-Y-R. During, right, and during their rising to prominence. Mm -hmm. And so we don't know if they were religiously devoted to the, the Catan, Catan. But well, you can see that
1: they are. The leaders of the dynasties are the last of the tier, the last of the originals. That's why they were allowed to keep as much of their remaining mortal body as they could. I didn't mean mortal body, but I meant like like they kept as much of their A conscience. piece
0: of their soul.
1: They kept memories, they kept parts of themselves. Like they, because they were the tier, they were the utmost of the Necron society. Yeah, that's why that's why they were like, "Well, you guys are powerful enough." Yeah, we'll give you a little something, something.
0: But resilience, more weight to their souls. It was very meritocratic, so the everyday soldier just wasn't all that much to stand up against.
1: That gave them leverage.
0: Too. And so when they ate, when the Catan ate their souls, for lack of a better term, they were the ones that had enough resilience to resist. And the Catan would have liked to have eaten their souls entirely. But couldn't.
1: Well, I mean, at that point, they had given them power. Yeah. they realized,
0: they're like, oh, we gave these guys too much power. And also, the Necron Tear destroyed their gods. They did. And the ones they couldn't kill outright, they shattered. Because, like I said, they the Necron Tear gave their, the Catan bodies, physical manifestations. When you've been around for hundreds of millions of years. You You find ways to... Well, they shattered. They shattered the the most powerful of the Catan. Right. And there's actually a religious cult on Mars, the cult of the machine god, that worships a piece of one of those Catans that's embedded in the crust of Mars. Or at least that's what I believe. That's my interpretation of it. I think that was in one of the books, Dynasties and... um... Right, but every time that you... Every time that you read a book in 40k you have to realize it's being told from a perspective and that perspective could be wrong, that the person who's telling the story could be wrong. That's why it's called a perspective. Right. It's from that person's point of view, not from the overall lore arc of the story. So it's canon in the sense that the person who tells you that in the book is telling you that they believe that. Yeah. Just because it's canon doesn't mean it's true.
1: Yeah, 40K for sure definitely has its...
0: I love Grimdark. I love the Grimdark so much. And
1: then we get to one that I've been dreading talking about, Lord of the Rings.
0: Yeah, I'm not really excited about this one.
1: It's just so convoluted in my mind. It just, I don't know. It is... Gods aren't allowed to intervene on mortal planes, but then they intervene on mortal planes, and gods aren't immortal, but then some of them die, and some of them are allowed to stay on Middle-earth, and then uh, okay. gods so. aren't allowed to have this all-being power, but then you have Sauron who comes and he creates a ring that is basically all-powerful, and he subjugates the ring raids and the elves and the dwarves. It's like it's like It's so convoluted in my mind in terms of theology.
0: Well, let's pick this apart one piece at a time.
1: I'm just giving an overall generalization, just a, a, a brief one for people who maybe aren't as familiar with Lord of the Rings as you and I are, is like, when I say it's convoluted, I mean there, there's... There's complexity
0: There's to it. complexity, but in my mind, there's also contradiction. All right, let's pick that apart, because I think there's not. <laughs> I think it's internally consistent. You've read the Silmarillion, you should know. Yeah, I do. And that's why I think it's internally consistent.
1: (laughs) Okay, so where do you want to start? So,
0: well, let's take what you think is a contradiction. Let's start with uh, Gandalf. He can die. No, he can't. Exactly. But he does. How does he die? He doesn't die. His mortal form is vanquished. He does not die, but his mortal form on the mortal plane is vanquished. That, to me, is already a contradiction. He can't die, but he did die. die. But he doesn't. But he can't. His spirit does not die. His form is vanquished. The thing that contains him is vanquished. It's the same reason that Sauron, while he cannot die, if he were to be destroyed entirely, he doesn't die. He is vanquished to outside of the mortal plane.
1: He goes essentially goes back to the realm of gods.
0: And Eru Iluvatar would have to bring him back. Which, after The Lord of the Rings, he probably chooses not to. Probably won't. <laughs> but he did with Gandalf, because Gandalf was doing what Eru what Iluvatar would see as right. But he still intervened
1: in a way he wasn't supposed to. He gave Who did? A, Gandalf, he gave away, he he was giving away, I can't remember, but he was giving away secrets using black tongue to do things you weren't supposed to do, intervening on the mortal plane in a way that he essentially wasn't supposed to. In my mind, that's kind of why he went from gray to white, not just to on the way he was supposed to, but because if he was going to truly utilize those powers, Iluvatar needed to say, okay, you need a more powerful form if you're going to... do this so that's that's exactly what it was and that's why i can see that as okay this might be the only plausible situation but as a whole it's like okay in his gray form he was doing things he definitely was not supposed
0: to be doing no (sighs) see they so the limitation on that was not until after the the fall of Beleriand. uh no, not Balerion. Um That's a different realm. That's a different realm. Um but <laughs> Do you th- wanna get into Game of Thrones? No. Right. It's after after the, the, the initial war first to capture time. Melkor. Before the first before era. the first age age. <clears throat> um And so in that time, they were not yet the gods were not yet commanded not to directly intervene. Because they didn't know they
1: didn't know their limitations at that point. They hadn't had a set of statutes that essentially said, okay, this is what happens if we blow up a mountain with some words.
0: Uh, they blew up a continent. Okay,
1: but they didn't know. <laughs> what I'm saying is they didn't know the, the after effects until after it
0: happened. Right. So like, they were learning, okay, this is the consequence of our powers on this mortal plane. So the, the times that they directly intervened and actually went physically in their godly forms to fight... The terrible things happened. Oh yeah. After that, they limited that, and that is why Gandalf, Saruman, Radagast, and the two blue wizards had to take mortal forms, because they were not allowed to be there in their immortal form. And they, well, the the plane wouldn't be able to contain them in their immortal form. Now, well, yeah, said. it would. It would. <laughs> It did the first time. Sauron had to contain himself with armor and enchantments on weapons. Now, and that I... was a different reason. <laughs> no! <laughs> Originally, Sauron uh, was in his. It was in mortal forms. He was, yes. But he was in his true power. Once he forged the ring, he was still bound to the ring. So when he was destroyed his body was able to start reforming around the power of the rings because he was anchored to the mortal plane. Which was his own doing. Yes. But that's why there's the eye atop Baradur, because he's anchored to the mortal plane. He is able to come back from being destroyed, his body being destroyed. And it's funny because if you actually look closely, the eye of Baradur isn't an eye. It's a flame
1: surrounding him as a whole. People just think it's like a part of his soul left behind a look. It is. But if you actually look at the what would be the, quote, cornea... Yeah. That is the visage of him standing over and watching everything.
0: Right. He's kind of bound there it's because, because he does not have the power he needs to move about freely. Yeah. And so that is internally consistent, although I grant a little convoluted.
1: That's where I'm like, okay... Like it's I said, there's discrepancies that, as a whole, I'm willing to admit it does make sense. But there are discrepancies, as with most theological claims, especially in fantasy and science fiction. But Lord of the Rings, specifically, for me, is like that. Because, like we've talked about before, at any given moment, Gandalf, if he really wanted to, could have just taken the ring and been like, oh, problem solved. Not in immortal form. But he was locked in his mortal form, so he couldn't. So that's where the convolution is like, okay, but...
0: That's the internal consistency. But he could have left that mortal form at any point in time that he, he could wanted. have, but he, at that point they were commanded not to. I just... They were limited by Uru Iluvatar saying, you're not allowed to do this. It makes sense, but it just... So internally it's consistent. And That's why I said it's consistent, but there's still... The other thing Gandalf was not allowed to do was directly interfere in his immortal visage so he could not take off his his mortal form and go fight sauruman on a godly level in Barad-dur. that's why he's always kind of manipulating that things would a cool fight. it would have been a really cool fight uh, except for the fact that irauluvatar would have just snapped his fingers and both of them would have been in front of him like what the are you doing <laughs> i have rules you
1: thought this was a good idea how
0: <laughs> do you remember what happened to the dwarves and the elves <laughs> So, it is... bad. Bad. No. Um, Now, that's a part of the reason that when they did that, the ring was created. Mm. That is why Sauron wanted to create the One Ring and put a piece of himself into it. Because he knew if his body was destroyed, his immortal form would be out beyond Arda, beyond the mortal plane. And without Iru Iluvatar... Saying, yeah, go back. He would not come back. But he feared that because he was Iru Ulvatar's enemy, one of them. But and he was also a son. Grandson, kinda.
1: That's what I mean. So,
0: he was lesser. Morgoth is the original Dark Lord. Uh, I, I know the, I know who Morgoth
1: is, and I know Sauron's upbringing, but I'm just speaking in terms for people who maybe don't know. Is... He was a fallen prodigy. Eru is like... The original god. Zeus or Odin, the Allfather, the, the beginning god,
0: the first one. He was there at the beginning of time. He created the gods that are in the pantheon. That would be Zeus. Well, that would be Zeus. And maybe Osiris. Or no, not Osiris. Um, right now I've got so much going through my mind it's not here, but either way. So there's kind of a generational god theme in it, where yeah. there's the original existing god who existed before time. Then you have he creates the 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 Valar, the major gods, and then he creates the Maiar, the minor gods, and then he creates Arda, which is the mortal plane. And we could do four four or five hours on the Silmarillion and no, the histories uh, of the gods. Yeah, that's not. But essentially, Melkor and a bunch of the, the Val of the Maiar turn against the Valar and and Iruluvatar. Sauron is one of them. And he realizes after the Great War that if I die, I'm done. Like, I don't have the power to keep myself in the mortal plane. Well, because I don't want to say he corrupted him. him. Um, And
1: so... But he realized he was already too far gone with the amount of power that he's placed into the mortal realm. That he essentially, like we've talked about earlier, he's anchored there.
0: Whatever happens now is like... If he dies, he goes back to the Immortal Realm outside of Arda, where Eru Iluvatar He was essentially is. tried. And he, yeah, he'd be tried. Yeah. But, so what he does is he creates a ring and infuses parts of himself into it so that if he dies, which he does, his body is destroyed at the, the last battle. When his fingers cut off from the ring, his body is destroyed. That was the end of his the door. age. At the last battle and at the end of the Second Age, his hand is cut and the ring is free, and his body is destroyed. But he is still attached to the mortal realm. Mm-hmm. That's why they need to destroy the ring. And that's why they needed someone to anchor him there, so he could look <clears up> to <the throat> Salramon. But I don't know of anyone other than maybe the dwarves who actually have a religion. Yeah, the dwarves... The d- the dwarves, the dwarves worship Aule, who oh, is their creator. The elves, the elves don't necessarily they worship light. I feel like it's they worship like use mm, music. It's weird. They, they 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 worship like they don't worship. They they exist
1: they and they revere. They revere light, light, the light of Elendil, the light of and they whomever else is like. All of what they believe in.
0: But I think they're beyond religion because they're immortal. They know that their bodies are going to... Perish it one day. Well, they're going to be on Arda forever. In one form or another. The ones that are in Middle-earth, if they die, their spirits go to the Hall of Mandos. That's why they go to the Grey Havens to go into exile, essentially, so they can live out... Well, they'll be there forever. It's the Undying Lands. Right,
1: but it's it's a land where they can no longer intervene because they know that they are...
0: Their forms are now
1: beyond the magical capabilities that their species was allowed.
0: Well, and they will never go. A term. They will never go beyond the beyond Arda. They're there permanently. Mm-hmm. If they die, there the Hall of Mandos is on Arda. So their spirit will be collected at Mandos, and That's eventually right. they'll be given a new body. Valhalla, essentially. Kind of. Um, we talked about this a few episodes ago, but it's very
1: reminiscent of like, Norse mythology. He did a really good job, I feel like.
0: Now, the men kind of have a spirituality because when they die, they go for a time to the Hall of Mandos, and then they pass beyond, out of Arda. And but,
1: but then you look at the way they they believe that. Like, the Gondorians are very... Well, the Hall of Kings and the Hall of Men, you know, they have, they have like, a Judeo-Christian reminiscence of burying royalty and then burying peasants or burying a soldier like each one has their own way of of being processed into the next life right
0: all while still believing
1: in the one all-powerful creator yeah and then well, and Ro- all of
0: them believe in Eru Iluvatar because they you know the elves met the Valar. they have a lineage direct link galadriel met the gods mm-hmm.
1: and so, so
0: he was there but there they have a direct link there are elves who remember the gods Physically, like, not, oh, I remember the gods. Like, they actually lived in the Undying Lands with the gods, alongside the gods. And so there is no real outright religion because you don't need faith to believe in something you know exists. Right. You can see it. You've dealt with it, you know. So the only ones that have a reason to have faith are the dwarves because they have a creator. creator, Ale, the smith god. Mm -hmm. They have a faith. That kind of evolves around creating, forging, mining. Revolves around yeah, like the smithing
1: mentality. The right.
0: creation, right?
1: But they also are very family oriented. Like family overall. The elves are like, yeah, this is my son, but he's gonna go do his own thing. Right. The humans, yeah, I want to raise a big family, but I'm I'm a soldier or I'm a scholar. It's like that's not my priority. The dwarves are like, no kin is everything. Yep. You carry your kinsman's name forever. You if they call you for battle, you have to be there. You
0: can see that in the Hobbit where uh Thorin Oakenshield calls his cousin mm-hmm. and they show up, you know, mounted for war, going to war against a superior force. Yep. Like no questions asked. Armed to the teeth. Armed yeah. to the teeth and ready to die. Yep. Um and they have that and that's why the that's why the mines are always so big because it's kind of a cultural, religious phenomenon that you must do these things to impress Aule. You must mine out more and more ore. You must must forge more and more beautiful things. And so the halls of like Amoria, you know, there's the first great hall. Well, that would have been big enough for the dwarves forever, but they had to create something better. So they created the second hall. And that's even bigger and more grand. That's
1: their offering essentially. How yeah. much how much they can create and how big they can
0: And how beautiful and how yep. how you know geometrically sound how perfect can we get it? Yeah. And so that is an obvious religion. But the humans they have an excuse to have a religion. They don't know what happens. They have to have faith that something happens after death. I feel like the Numenorians kind of did know what happened. Originally. Oh, the original
1: Numenorians.
0: Well, but the, the humans after kind of lost that touch. So it's canon that no one knows what happens. Like, not even the gods. No. Only Iru Iluvatar knows what happens to humans after they leave the mortal plane. And he refers to it as his gift to his second children. Because the elves are his first children and the, the humans are his second. He refers to death and leaving the mortal plane as his gift. To the, to the to the men. Which to me sounds very
1: Judeo-Christian.
0: Yeah! <laughs> yeah! Imagine that. So you would expect there to be a little more religion. But there's really not. The only religion that I think I can confirmedly say the Numenoreans ever had was the worship of Melkor. Yeah. When Sauron corrupted them before the Numenor was sucked into the ocean.
1: And they all spoke what? Uh, no, not all of them. I'm just kidding. well i think that's all we got for you guys in the eyes of theology it's always one of those subjects in science fiction fantasy that's just so it's an interesting subject no matter what you're referring to right but especially in science fiction because everyone just thinks oh well they've advanced that far they must not believe in god or gods or
0: goddesses or an afterlife, it's like, well, actually, if you really read into the lore, they do. Well, and there's always a question in it, because sci-fi and fiction, they're creations from our point of view, you know, the writer's point of view. And if the writer has questions on religion, then he's going to write those questions in and try to resolve them. So uh, to assume that, like, Star Trek doesn't have religion because they're advanced is silly, because we're not Star Trek. We're not advanced at that point. But I'm just saying a lot of
1: people feel that way about sci-fi but
0: i think they're internalizing
1: their own doubts and if you actually read lore and 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 kind of dive into it you'll see that a lot of sci-fi and fantasy do have some sort of a theology or
0: theocratic mindset but well i think 40k did it the best just because they kind of they kind of leaned into it and were like hey how crazy can we make this how many religions can we stuff into one universe (laughs)
1: Yeah, but as always, hit us up on our Instagram at Dresh Day Cantina. Discord's up and running, Dresh Day Cantina. The link is in the show notes. Follow us on the non existent Twitter that I probably will get to at some point. <laughs> <laughs> like I've mentioned, that ball is now forever and always was in your court.
0: Uh, so. It may not <laughs> happen. <laughs>
1: I knew it. I'm just going to say it right now. But until next time, have a good week. Have a good week. BOOM! Yeah.